Capital Allocators is brought to you by 10 East, an investment platform for sophisticated investors to access private markets. 10 East brings benefits of having your own family office without the cost and headaches of doing so. It's founded and led by Michael LaFell, former deputy executive managing member of Davidson Kempner. Michael and his investment team offer members the opportunity to co-invest by offering at their discretion. Michael and his team source, diligence, and commit material personal capital to each investment. The opportunities shared on the Tennis platform offer exposure to private credit, real estate, niche venture and private equity, and other idiosyncratic investments that typically aren't available through traditional channels. The principals have over a decade track record of investing in these types of exposures across more than 350 transactions. Post-investment, the Tennis team conducts ongoing monitoring and reporting, just as you'd expect from an institutional investment organization. I've known Michael for about a decade, and after becoming impressed by the quality of Tennis offerings, its research process, and high-quality investment team, I became an advisor to the organization and investor in multiple offerings. You can learn more and join me as a member at 10east.co. That's the number 10, east.co. Last week, the senseless and tragic events at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh left me and many others asking questions about our world today. This one hit a little closer to home for me than the many other equally terrible events that have occurred, because my mother grew up in Squirrel Hill. Our family is a generation removed and not closely connected to the town anymore, but my friends Andy Fisher and Jeff Solomon very much are. Andy's the president of CIM Investment Management in Pittsburgh, where he has worked for a quarter century and oversees $1.4 billion. He was born and raised in Squirrel Hill and lives a few blocks from the Tree of Life Synagogue. Andy sent me an email last Monday with a clip from an interview that our mutual friend Jeff conducted on MSNBC. Jeff is the CEO of Cowan Group and is a proud Pittsburgh and Squirrel Hill native. He was also the guest on the ninth episode of Capital Allocators, and you could find a replay of that episode right after this special conversation. I sat down with Jeff last Wednesday to talk about his experience in the initial days of these tragic events, and that conversation follows. I want to offer a special thanks to Andy for the thread that led to this episode and offer prayers and healing to Andy, Jeff, their family and friends directly impacted in Squirrel Hill, and to everyone I don't know wherever acts of hatred have impacted their lives. I hope you enjoyed this sad but inspiring conversation with Jeff Solomon. Jeff, I know it's been a crazy couple of days. You grew up in Squirrel Hill. I did. And you were bar mitzvahed at the Tree of Life Synagogue. March 31st, 1979. Why don't you talk about what that community means to you. It's funny, growing up in Squirrel Hill, you just don't realize how lucky you are. And maybe you could say that about every, you know, any place where you grew up. But Squirrel Hill was a remarkably, is a remarkably inclusive community. When you think about the places you want your kids to grow up, you want them to grow up in a, in, in a place that has respect and, and teaches you inherent values that you hold dear. How to do good, how to make the world a better place, how to engage with people in a respectful and civil manner, how to be a good person. 
and I think about the things that I've learned in my life and where I learned them. And of course, my parents are a big part of that and my brother and my family. But in the broader sense, the community of Squirrel Hill is really what taught me the value structure that I have and, and certainly the city of Pittsburgh. But Squirrel Hill is my home. Have you stayed connected to the community as you've kind of grown your whole career on Wall Street? A lot of ways. My parents are still there. My in-laws are still there. My my extended family is, a lot of my extended family is still there. My wife is, and I are, are high school sweethearts. So we both went to Taylor Alderdice High School, which is the public school in Squirrel Hill. So we have a lot of friends that, that are there. And there's a funny thing about Pittsburgh in, in general, but Squirrel Hill specifically, we may not live there anymore, but we all belong there. And we have deep sense of responsibility for the place that launched us. It's not just me. I mean, I, I think you can say this about a lot of us who've gone off into the world and, and done things, you know, far away from Squirrel Hill geographically. You know, most of us still feel a deep sense of responsibility to perpetuating the idea of Squirrel Hill. And when we see opportunities to do that, give back to the community that, that gave so much to us, we do it. So take me back a couple of days ago. Where were you when you heard? So I got up in the morning. Not like any other Saturday morning. My, my wife actually kissed me on the, on the forehead and said, uh, I'm going to go to bar class and yoga. I'll be back in a couple of hours. That was probably around 9.30. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I got up, got myself together and went to go get my cup of coffee at, at Stan's like I do every morning. I picked her up a cup of coffee also. I came home and sat down to read the paper. And uh, just as I was about to sit down and actually open up my iPad, I got two phone calls at the same time practically. First from my mother and then literally seconds later from my daughter, who was on a camp retreat at Emma Kaufman Camp in Morgantown, West Virginia, with all of her friends from Pittsburgh. And so I said to my mom, Mom, hang on a second. You know, Kate's calling me. I just got to pick up the phone. She's calling from camp. I'm not sure what's up. And she goes, wait a minute. She's calling to tell you that there's an active shooter at the Tree of Life Synagogue. I mean, I, 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 someone says that to you, like your mother says that to you. And it's like, what? Like, those are things you don't hear. And, uh, like it stopped me. And she said, well, first of all, I'm okay. I'm in Maryland and your father's okay. He's, he's traveling to, uh, visit some friends in Philadelphia this weekend. So we're fine. I'm like, all right, thank God, you know? Okay, let me uh, let me call Kate back. I missed a call from Kate, and so I, I called her very quickly. And she said, "Dad, you know what's happening at the Tree of Life?" And I said, I, "I do." And she said, "Oh my God! Like, can you believe this?" Now my daughter's 15 years old, and she's getting updates from friends of hers who are in Pittsburgh, um, who are listening to police scanners and texting everybody in at camp and telling them what's going on in painstaking detail. Um, you know, there's nothing in your life that prepares you for something like this. That's just, you know, shakes you to the core. You know, we, unfortunately, you know, many of us have experienced things like this with 9-11 and other, you know, other elements. But when something like this, you know, comes home to roost in your life, it's personal and it shakes you to the core and it becomes a lot less abstract. So what were you feeling in those first moments? Well, you're just, you're stunned. You know, 
first of all, my, my wife didn't have her phone on her, so I couldn't pick up the phone and call her. So I was by myself, you know, waiting for text updates from my daughter. I called my dad. Then I turned on CNN and MSNBC and whatever and tried to get some updates. And I could see members of my community uh, in the background. And uh, I waited. Right away, your mind goes to the people that you know that are there. And you wonder if they're okay. And I uh, called my dad. And who he and my mom are still very active members at the synagogue. And you know, we start talking about everybody that we know is there because the regulars are, are there. And you worry about them. Um, and when my wife came home, we hugged and we sat down together. And the next thing I knew, it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> It's just, you're reaching out to people and people are reaching out to you. And all of a sudden the connections that you have to everybody there, you start, they start lighting up. You call each other and you wait for the names. I think was the most painful, at least initial part of the first day is you're waiting for the names that you know are going to come. You know, my friend Tony Feinberg called from Tel Aviv and he's like your parents at shul this morning and I said uh, no thankfully they're not he's like I think my mom is there he's like I'm pretty sure my mom is there I'm like well have you heard anything he's like I haven't heard anything yet and uh, every couple of hours we spoke have you heard anything yet I haven't heard anything yet and and, and one of the things you, you, you know is you know after a while everybody who made it out starts calling and telling everybody that they're okay and the longer it goes when you don't hear from the person that you love or the person that you know, then you know. And I could just tell in, in the series of conversations that I had with Tony over the course of the day that this wasn't going to end well. You know, and then you start to find out names, usually one at a time. So funny, the public uh, gets all the names at once because, you know, they have this, FBI has this thing where they, they get all the families together and they talk to them one at a time because you have to notify next of kin before you make a public announcement. But by the time the public announcement is made, you pretty much know. And apparently everybody was stationed at the Pittsburgh JCC where I grew up, a family gathering area. And I, 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 in my own mind, I'm, I'm wondering where, where's that and who's there? And... Um, you know, slowly but surely you find out the names. And when you do, you, it's, it, it just, it's like a wave that comes over you. Each individual name. It's like you relive it. So that was most of the day Saturday. When the initial shock wears off, not that it has, it's only been a few days in some sense. How do you start processing it? The first thing you do is you, you reach out to the people that are you're closest with. And you see comfort in them. You know, I, I, there's no rule book. Everybody does it differently. You know, for me, it was being able to sit there with my wife and take some comfort in the fact that my parents didn't go to shul that day. But by the same token, you're just grieving for everybody who, you, you know, you think has a sense of loss. There's no right or wrong. Everybody deals with it differently. You know, for me, it was, um, I talked to my dad at length. I don't think I've ever heard my father cry. When we went through, as we started finding out names, it was, it was just terrible. 
So he turned around and came home because he wanted to be part of the community. Uh, my mother came home later on that evening. You, you start to find focal points of gathering where you can get together with others who are feeling the same way that you're feeling physically. You do it online and you do it in person. Uh, you take strength in the strength, you know, in the comfort of strangers and, and friends who, who reach out to you. And I'm, a, I'm a very grateful for all of our friends, the people at Cowan, you know, the people you work with. I mean, if there's two things people know absolute about me, one, I'm from Pittsburgh and two, I'm Jewish. So if you're Jewish and you're from Pittsburgh and you don't live in Pittsburgh, anything that happens to the Jewish community in Pittsburgh, they reach out. Everybody reaches out. And so I, I took a lot of comfort in the texts and emails I got and phone calls. I was diligent about responding to everybody and letting them know that at least my immediate family was okay, but that we're waiting. That's what you do. Talk to your kids. Talk to my son who's in, in London. He wanted to know. Talk to my daughter. Talk to my son who's in New York City. Just talk. And is there a initial message? You know, not in the first day or so. You know, you're just, you're in the middle of trying to process it. You know, you, you go through these, this weird, I went through this weird connection where I'm like, wow, um, Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, Tree of Life. Like, that's going to be known as one of those places that I read about and heard about my entire life. You know, it's going to be like Columbine or Charleston or Krakow or Munich, or Moscow, or Kiev. And you're like, oh, oh my, like, how can that be? It's so at odds with what I know. So we talked about Squirrel Hill earlier. This is a place of goodness for me. This is everything I know. This is what taught me to be who I am and the rest of the world might actually think of that differently. And that's incongruous. And I can speak about that now because I've had the benefit of a hundred hours to really think that through plus. But in the first few days, you feel paralyzed by that. Like you can't undo that. And I want to make it clear I don't speak for those that are directly impacted, the families who lost people. Like that, that is a very personal sense of loss. And I'm, I feel for them, you know, the way you would feel for anybody who's mourning. But I also recognize that's not me. And so, however they're feeling is how they're feeling. I'm just trying to process it in a way where I can articulate it. And it turns out, I think there's a lot of us that feel that way. I've had a number of people reach out to me over the past few days and thank me for, you know, going on TV and explaining what Pittsburgh is and who Squirrel Hill is and what happens at the Tree of Life and trying to make sure that the rest of the world doesn't lose what's so great about our community in the wake of this. And I'm thankful for the news outlets. I'm thankful for you, Ted, for giving me an opportunity to share my story because this is what the world needs to know. This is an event that we need to understand and understand where it came from and how it happened. But we also need to not forget that this community, my community, is emblematic of communities all over the world. 
And an attack on a community like this is a very deliberate attack on good. There's a story, and I'll tell it if you didn't hear about it, about what happened in the hospital when the shooter arrived. I haven't focused on okay. that. And I'll let you respond. So the story was something effective. I guess they brought the shooter into the hospital and he was shouting whatever anti-Semitic thing he kept shouting. And the head of the hospital came over and he said, you know, who are you? And he said, I'm Dr. Cohen. We're going to take care of you. And they wheeled him in and a nurse and another Jewish attendant kept him alive. It strikes me that that story, you know, in, you've talked about this community and how this community will respond. Sounds a lot like the community that you know. It is, but that the medical community, it's like Mr. Rogers says, right? Look for the helpers. This is, by the way, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and there's been a lot of written about that too. Yes, Mr. Rogers lived in a house that was no more than three blocks away from Tree of Life Synagogue. Five-minute walk if you're walking slowly. And uh, and so Mr. Rogers talks about the helpers, you know, find the helpers in the midst of every tragedy, there's helpers. The fact that these helpers happen to be Jewish, listen, it's not because we're Jewish. It's, it's because we're people. It just happened that the attending was Jewish. That there are Jews and non-Jews alike who are helpers, who are good people, who would do exactly what those people did. They're just people who help and who look beyond the immediacy of the situation because they believe in the sanctity of human life. And that's not a Jewish thing. That's a human thing. So I take comfort not because they're Jewish. I take comfort because that's what good people do. What have you seen in the community's response thus far? Well, in, in the midst of these tragedies, what I've learned is that if you can get beyond the immediacy of the loss and the tragedy, that there's a lot of good in the world. And it's early in the process, but the outpouring of support for the families of the victims, for the community, Squirrel Hill and the city of Pittsburgh has been remarkable. You hope to never have to draw on the strength of the rest of the world to pick you up because it generally means something awful has happened. But the response and knowing that people care all over the world and they care deeply is all at once inspiring. And I think people do it because they want to feel connected to it personally, but they also recognize it's very clear when something is wrong that needs to be righted. And so people get involved quickly and they reach out. And if you're like me, a member of the community whose life was not directly impacted, but impacted enough to feel deep sense of loss, you appreciate that. Um, and, I, and you hope that someday the, the people that have lost their loved ones will eventually come to understand the outpouring of support is genuine. And so I, I think that's amazing. And I can tell you specifics. I went to a vigil on Saturday night because, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to connect. And I went to one in Union Square with my wife and my brother and our friend Lenny Silverman. And it was a Havdalah service, which is the service that ends, you know, the Sabbath and uh, and marks the line between the holiest day of the week and the rest of the week. And I felt like 
I wanted to be there with other people um, in support and solidarity for my neighborhood. You know, what I found was there was nobody else there for my neighborhood. It was just the four of us. And I felt really alone, even though it's a beautiful service and I appreciated everybody's gathering and support. They didn't know that we were directly involved and that we had friends and family members of friends who were deeply impacted. They didn't know. And uh, so it got very political all of a sudden. And we looked at each other. We said, listen, it's not that we're not ready to talk about politics. The rest of the world may be using this as a way to promote their politics. We actually aren't judging. We're just grieving. So we left. Not because we had a view, but we just, they were unaware of the depth of our grief. And so we went um, to go to have a bite to eat and just be with each other, the four of us. And I got a call from my friends at the UJA saying, hey, there's going to be a big you know, interfaith vigil tomorrow night in Pittsburgh. And the head of the Federation of Pittsburgh has asked if we want to send a delegation. And because we know you and Linda are from Pittsburgh, will you come with us? We got ourselves together and we figured out a way to get to Pittsburgh. And we went together with this community and the New York Jewish community, the head of the leaders of the, the, the UJ Federation here came with me and my wife and my brother and our friend Lenny. And the eight of us went and we spent some time with my parents. And then we made our way down to Soldiers and Sailors and, and Memorial Hall where they had this interfaith vigil. Um, and all of a sudden my two worlds are colliding. My, my new home and my old home are in one place in a weird, bizarre manner out of a tragedy. And I'm processing the fact that I'm deeply involved in UGA Federation and, and working to make New York a better place. And all of a sudden, we're all in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is grieving and Squirrel Hill is grieving and Tree of Life Synagogue is grieving. And we get to Soldiers and Sailors and it's raining and it's a miserable day and we, we get inside. And there's this amazing outpouring of support from the city of Pittsburgh. Amazing. It's the state of Pennsylvania, senators and congressmen, and everybody is descending on Pittsburgh a little more than 24 hours after this has gone on. And I'm there. I'm in the middle of it. And I'm trying to process this. And what people said at the vigil, which was really administered and hosted by the Jewish Federation in Pittsburgh, was amazing. The outpouring of support from different people is amazing. What'd they say? They said some pretty amazing things like all of us in Pittsburgh feel deeply for the Jewish community and didn't matter what faith you were, didn't matter what religion you were, everybody got up and said the same thing. We feel for you, Squirrel Hill. We know what kind of an inclusive, amazing community Squirrel Hill is. We know what kind of a neighborhood it is, and we feel for you and we stand with you. You're with us all the time. You... The Jewish people, you, people from Squirrel Hill, you stand with us in our time of need and we stand with you in your time of need. So there was this strange, I, I often tell people, when you're from Pittsburgh, there are two diasporas. There's the Pittsburgh diaspora and then there's the Jewish diaspora. So, you know, for me, it's this amazing feeling of all of a sudden those two diasporas coming together in a strange way where there's an outpouring of support from the whole world, from Israel, from other nations, 
And so that's what they said at this. And, uh, you know, the mayor of Pittsburgh stands up and everybody else stands up and, and, and talks about how we're here, we're here for you and we're going to rebuild and we're going to make this okay. As you're going through this and still in it, and then life also goes on, work life, how do you bring back and sort of reintegrate even today what you're feeling and dealing with with just sort of life going on as it does? Well, first of all, I've got great partners who are who are picking me up and taking care of some things that I might otherwise have to do. So, I mean, that's the way they're helping. And I'm hugely thankful for that. You have to compartmentalize a little bit. I mean, the reality is that life is going on away from this and you have to focus on the things that you focus on that are most urgent uh, business-wise and in your life. And then you take time out to make sure that you stay connected and you find moments where you can help to process and work it through. It comes in waves. It'll be a moment where I'm totally locked in and I'm doing my thing and then all of a sudden something shakes me and I realize there's that, there's that going on and I go there and, I, and I'm there for a little while and I'm trying to process it and I'm feeling pretty bad. The process of human grieving is different for everybody. And so I'm only, I'm, I'm a little, this is how I'm dealing with it, but there is no right or wrong. It's just, you know, as humans, we are actually programmed to cope in our own way. Some people need longer time. Some people want to talk to other people. Some people seek therapy in a, in a practical sense. Others find those same coping tools in their own networks. So being able to talk to people about this is helpful because it, it helps me to process the enormity of it. I, I said to my wife last night when I got home from the funerals yesterday, I said, it's a really big deal for the rest of the world, isn't it? And she said, yeah, I'm kind of coming to terms with that. And I'm like, wow, we've been so focused on us and our little network and our people. Like I just haven't really realized how the rest of the world has latched onto this and is making it a thing that they want to rally around. And I just was not paying attention. And eventually I'll figure out how to be a part of that discussion. You know, I will you know, people have embraced me from news medias and news outlets. You've reached out. You know, I will be able to dialogue about this in better context the further away we get from it, as will most of us. But I was really, until last night, didn't understand what a, what a thing this was. Are there any kind of initial lessons that you've drawn from the bigger picture yet? I mean, yes. Uh, First of all, I've said, let's not make any bones about this. This is an attack on good. So please don't talk about what happened in specifics. doesn't matter in the end. What matters is that we recognize this for what it is. This is an act of hate. This is an act of anti-Semitism, pure and simple. Let's not overthink it. And sadly, there are people in the world who hate and there's evil in the world. And anti-Semitism is a real thing and anti-hate is a real thing and bigotry is a real thing. And we have to address that. It doesn't go away. And ignoring it and not paying attention to it is not an answer. That's a big message for me. You know, today it's my community, but tomorrow it could be your community. And I think there are certain people in the world who inherently understand that. 
And then there are those of us who sometimes it requires an act like this to bring it into sharper focus and make it less abstract. So we have a responsibility to fight evil. And we can debate what that means. And everybody's got a different line, but you know, when you see it and the world knows this for what it is, this is evil. And we have to do things to keep evil in check. Like it's an action. We have to do things. So one of the things that people say to me is, what can we do? And my initial reaction is do good because there are many more people like us who want to do good in the world because we learned that in places like Tree of Life and in places like Squirrel Hill and in cities like Pittsburgh. There are those of us that know how to do good, but we have to do it. It's an action. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to figure out ways to motivate, to do good, to make a positive impact in our daily lives. Because it turns out there are way more of us who can do good than there are those and them that don't. And it's what's really important is that we band together to do simple acts of kindness so that we can bringing the world into a better place in memory of those who lost their lives, but because it's also the right thing to do. Uh, And we know that. And sometimes I just think we get distracted with it, our daily lives. Any other big ones so far? That's where I am today. It's, um, you know, out of this will be a lot of other debate. And, you know, I've I've told people I'm not going to get into the debate. It's not for us at this point, at least not for me. You know, I have my own views, but it's not time to share them. It's really a time for the next period to get through grieving and help other people who get through their grief and figure out how to ensure that the memory of the lives lost is preserved, figure out how we talk about the goodness that they exhibited in each of their lives and then we can talk about how we we do things to honor them more specifically and we can have all the debates we want to have about how we eventuate good. Yeah. Why don't we close with one of those stories about one of those people that you've known? Well, I was talking about the brothers because I was closest to them. I mean, I was I knew Mrs. Mallinger and 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 I I knew you know Mrs. Feinberg because I know their children and they're wonderful people. And I, I know that because mostly their children have been friends and mentors of mine. And so uh, that's tragic, like this all is. But I had a one-to-one relationship with Cecil and David, like so many of us in Pittsburgh did. You know, Cecil and David, I think it's widely known, were special needs. And they only knew good. They were only capable of good not a mean bone in their bodies and just the kind of people that would go out of their way to help. Cecil would be at the back of the synagogue every Saturday, greeting you with a big good Shabbos, hand you a prayer book and telling you what page David was an usher or just helping out around the shul or helping out around the firehouse or working diligently. I mean, And they were in the community. And so when I talk about 
you know, my relationship and what I think about our community, like I didn't know about special needs. It wasn't a thing when we were growing up. It was just Cecil and David because that's, they introduced me to the idea that there were people like them that were different. But I don't recall our community judging them. They had an active role at the Pittsburgh JCC. They had an active role at the Shul. They engaged us on their terms and we engaged them on their terms because they were good people. And when I was at their funeral yesterday and there were 3,000 people there and the stories we were telling each other were about our own interactions with Cecil and David that were just like mine. Everybody, turns out everybody had relationships with Cecil and David like this. The one-to-one relationships and changing people's minds you know, for the better and just giving them little, little moments of joy throughout the course of the day by being who they are. I didn't have to go through this tragedy to know that about the two of them because that's just who they were. And I went off into the world carrying part of that with me and I think about the things they taught me and they're a part of my daily life. They didn't even know they were teaching me. They just were being who they were. And I thought to myself yesterday as I stood there trying to make sense of it all, wouldn't it be great if we could all just do that? If we could all just be good and help each other because we know it to be the right thing to do? And what what if we could be more like Cecil and David who didn't see evil and were incapable of it? That's a pretty remarkable trait. And so even though they're you know, no longer with us in physical form, spiritually they're with us in every way, shape, or form, and we will all carry their memory with us, like we'll carry the memory of everyone, because that's what we do. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing this. And I know... This time, I know I can speak on behalf of uh, everybody listening to, to tell you that, uh, that you know, I'm standing with you. Well, I appreciate, Ted, uh, you giving me the opportunity to share our story. And I appreciate everybody that's listening because we can make a difference. I know we can. And uh, I'm hopeful that if we talk about this, that there'll be so much learning that happens about ways we can take personal responsibility in our own lives to make the world a better place. It gives me hope. It gives us all hope. And uh, and I'm really confident, maybe more so than ever, that we have that capability. Well, I know we do. Thanks, Jeff.